When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party Podcast. This one featuring Angus Robertson, the leader of the SNP in Westminster. Someone I was very excited about interviewing. Uh, Someone who has a a fearsome reputation, really, given his uh, commanding performances at Prime Minister's Questions every Wednesday. He really has become one of the stars of this of this parliamentary term. He's been an MP since 2001 and has risen to prominence uh, since the SNP's phenomenal results at uh, the 2015 general election. So there's plenty for us to talk about. And, I mean, it's fair to say that this, at times, becomes far more surreal than I think anyone would have guessed. Um, but enjoy it. He does some great impressions. I won't ruin it, but uh, he does a couple in the... Um, he does a couple during the uh, course of the interview, one in particular that, um, well, uh, had quite a profound effect on me. So, do enjoy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You all right? It feels quite suspicious. Got here. Ladies and gentlemen, give me a cheer if this is your first time at the political party. Excellent. Welcome, newcomers. Uh, give me a cheer if you've been here before. Excellent. Uh, well, some good beefy cheer. We've got a fantastic guest for you tonight. Um, if you don't mind me doing this, just because there's only two more left before the referendum, uh, give me a cheer if you're definitely going to vote in the EU referendum. Yeah. Excellent. And if you don't mind me asking, uh, give me a cheer if you will vote for Britain to remain in the EU. Yeah. Okay, give me a cheer if you're going to vote for Britain to leave the EU. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> About four of you. Um, but very energetic. There was a fellow at the back who was very energetic. Who was that? I can't see because it's in the dark. Just shout out. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it's okay with the lights. It's fine. Uh, what's your name? Uh, John. John. Uh, and uh, are you a UKIP supporter? No. Okay. <laughs> That's my first. It was almost like talking to the dead then, wasn't it? <laughs> like a sort of Darren Brown seance moment. Uh, and uh, who do you support, if you don't mind me asking? Uh... Oh, it's complicated. <laughs> A big pardon? You used to vote Labour, don't anymore. OK, so um, you're sort of a left-wing, you're a sceptic? Yeah, I suppose so. Oh, the, the plot thickens. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm just interested to... I, I shouldn't have had... No, no, no. I shouldn't have... Had, oh, it wasn't meant to sort of turn into... OK, so you wouldn't vote Labour anyway, then? <laughs> but welcome to the show anyway, welcome to the other remainders. Just by, just in case, because I, I don't want people to feel sort of um, like they've been picked on. Uh, give me a cheer genuinely if you haven't yet made up your mind. Hey. Oh, excellent. So there was a very energetic one there. Um, what's your name? Olivia. Olivia, welcome to the show, Olivia. Uh, Olivia, what is it that's going to make your mind up about the referendum, do you think? A proper debate. A proper debate? I don't think you're really going to get one of them, to be honest. <laughs> it's all about Project Fear, isn't it? Are, 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 do you feel scared? No. no? So you, you, you're not fallen victim to the scaremongering. So in terms of the, the issues that matter to you, what will be the decisive ones, do you think? Um, the economy. 
Okay, the economy? We haven't had any proper answers on what the actual cost of Okay. The economy is the main thing, and you don't really feel like the, the leave side have properly explained what would happen. No. Um, our friend at the back, can you. <laughs> Enlighten us, do you think? There you go. That's a very good reason. Uh, Olivia, do you want to earn more money? <laughs> I think you've had the answer there. I think you'd be well off uh, to. <laughs> Stuart Rose. He, yeah, he might be wrong. He, he couldn't even remember the name of the campaign to stay in the EU, as I remember it. <laughs> it doesn't strike me as a details man. Uh, but welcome, Olivia. Hopefully tonight, actually, we'll, we'll get some answers. We'll t- chat to Angus Robertson uh, uh, about that. Um, it's obviously been a phenomenal month in politics. A lot of stuff going on. First, we had the Panama Papers leaks uh, about David Cameron's tax affairs. Uh, I have to say, firstly, I was quite disappointed... Because you sort of want it to be, oh my God, it's a billion quid. <laughs> and they come out and say, look, I paid tax at around £30,000. You think, is that it? <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> Why couldn't you have a proper, proper set of money stuck away somewhere? So he's got, I mean, the whole thing as well, I don't know if anyone uh, signed up to the hashtag, Cameron must go, or Cameron resign now, or whatever it was. Sadly, it didn't work. Uh, I know, I couldn't believe it myself either. <laughs> Anyone would think there'd been a democratic election about a year ago. Uh, what slightly annoys me uh, about the whole thing was that Corbyn immediately, obviously, sees this as a, a big opportunity uh, and asks questions about the wrong thing. And he, uh, he said, oh, yeah, 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 anyone now, all MPs should publish their tax returns, including all political journalists. <laughs> Why? Like, what next? Have you got an opinion on politics, mate? Let me see your payslip. The problem is now, one of the issues I have is that I think we're asking too much of our politicians. You could publish your wage slip. What next? Publish their browsing history. Because that would be... I would rather that. I'd rather see George Osborne's... (laughs) Private mode viewing on Google Chrome for the last year than see his boring old tax return. Because don't forget, with Cameron, with the Panama Papers thing, it took him a while to get the information out. On the Monday, he said, I have no profits from offshore uh, accounts. And then on Tuesday, he said, I don't currently benefit from... You're like, mate, it's not a fucking riddle. <laughs> Stop trying to fucking prick tease me. Have you got any offshore accounts or not? What the hell is going on? I, mean, I would love to hear him deny porn in the same way. <laughs> Downing Street, I'd say, look, the Prime Minister is not currently watching... <laughs> Anything on Pornhub. Look, I have not, in the last five years, knowingly watched anything on Brazzers. I know, those sort of niche references really smoke out the perverts. <laughs> John Whittingdale, uh, of course, um, the culture secretary, uh, has been going out with the dominatrix, it turns out. Um, pe- I don't, know if people, I don't know if people... That sounded like quite a sort of jealous laugh from some of the fellas in the room. But he's, uh, he's been going out with a number of people. He went out with the dominatrix. He also went out with the page three model, apparently. Uh, and he met all these women on the internet, internet dating. Now, I did internet dating for a bit. I didn't get any of that. <laughs> I don't know what site he's going on, but I don't think it's eHarmony. 
for starters. But he's got, you just think he was introducing this dominatrix lady to like other members of the cabinet. I'm fucking. Some of them must have been like, what? What has Whittingdale got? <laughs> that we fucking he keeps turning up with these porn stars. What the fuck is happening? What is going on with Whittingdale? He must be young like a fucking horse. It's not his personality. I don't know what he's got. Must have been so funny at some of those things. All right, John, I like your missus, but you're a bit quiet in front of her, aren't you? Well, she cut your nuts in a vice or something. How did you know? <laughs> Who told you? <laughs> Apparently he went to a strip club as well. I don't know if you know about this. He went with two other members of the select committee. They were doing an investigation into sex work. And he went on a visit to a strip club. This is true. During the day... For dinner, right? I know. Who knew they did food at these places? Um, not that I've been. And make Tommy. Uh, but um, there's a phenomenal quote here from some of the other members of the select committee. So he, he, uh, this is the, the new story. In 2008, he visited a London lap dancing club. Him and two MPs dined with the club owner and two lap dancers and spent some time on the dance floor. <laughs> During the day. Guy's an absolute geezer. Now, one of the other MPs on the... Um, this is a classic denial. This this one of the other MPs on the select committee said, the visit was my idea. We were doing an inquiry which involved lap dancing clubs. I mean, that is like... <laughs> that's youth parliament stuff, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's ask a group of 16-year-old boys what they want to do an inquiry to. Oh, boobs and shit. I don't know. <laughs> I said I'd never been to one and I have no idea what goes on inside. I just asked if we could have a look. <laughs> One of the others said, it wasn't really strippers. There was a woman dancing around a pole, but she didn't really strip. Yeah. Somebody wants his 20 quid back, innit? I swear to God she fancied me, man. The way she was looking at me. <laughs> no, this is one of my favourites. Adrian Saunders, a Lib Dem MP on the committee, said, <laughs> I didn't know about this. No one told me about the visit. <laughs> Yeah, they fucking left me in Frankie and Benny's. I wonder where they go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my word. Um, Boris Johnson has been a notable campaigner against scaremongering on both sides. He wrote an article in The Telegraph, and this tickled me. He started off by saying, are you scared? Are you absolutely consumed with, with fear? I mean, this is what uh, the people who want to take, uh, who want to keep you in the EU are trying to inspire, this sort of fear that will grip all of our body. Are you absolutely gripped with fear? Does this whole defence... Uh, of why politics should be done without scaremongering. says, we will not involve ourselves in all this stuff. And then right at the end of the article says, but if we leave the EU, it will be easier to catch rapists and terrorists. <laughs> what? Hang on a minute. You can't U-turn that quickly. You can't say, look, I know two things. One, I would never cheat on my wife. Two, I'm staying at room 314 of the Holiday Inn. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of the party political broadcasts. I don't know if anyone's seen uh, any of the party political broadcasts yet for the local elections that we have on the 5th of May. I have watched, this week, every single one of them. For every party. Zach Goldsmith. Has anyone seen Zach's? Hey. One guy. Um, did you like it? Well, that was a U-turn and a half, wasn't it? <laughs> Went from watching it and quite liking it to not having seen it. He, uh, what's phenomenal about Zach Goldsmith? I'm not sure that many people have heard him speak, but... He's got the kind of softest um, way. It's kind of like everything he says has a question mark. <laughs> it's like he doesn't, he's not sure about what he's saying. You watch these broadcasts. If I become mayor, I will re 
States um, annexed in the night tube? <laughs> it's almost as if those waiting for you while you're watching it to go, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, I'll move on. That's fine, yeah. He sounds like... Zach Goldsmith is one of those people that just sort of thinks out loud. I think if you just left him talking to himself and didn't interrupt him, he would just eventually contradict himself. Look, I, I actually don't think um, that all schools should become academies because those that are already under LEA control that are performing well actually shouldn't be interfered with. But then a lot of people say that the academy program can improve even those schools. So I, actually, I think I do agree with it now. <laughs> yes, I think that's my settled view. But then on the other hand, just... He would just go on and on and on. But he's, he makes one of those claims that you hear people claim. You think, this is bullshit. Because after eight years of Boris Johnson being mayor, London is finally back on the map. <laughs> what? I mean, before Boris Johnson was mayor of London, people just didn't have a clue where this place was. Excuse me, mate. You can't help me. I'm trying to find Wembley, mate. You don't know where it is, mate. For the last eight years, literally no idea. <laughs> I think it might be in France, mate. Wembley, was it? No idea. Um, they, show a load of, they show a load of clips as well. All party political broadcasts do this now. Just families in the kitchen. But on Zach Goldsmith, he shows you like Hackney Marshets and people playing football. You think, he's never been there. <laughs> you almost think he should sort of subvert that a bit and go, lovely scenery, isn't it? Never fucking been. <laughs> but Richmond's great. <laughs> That Sadiq, uh, Sadiq's one on the bus. Has anyone seen this? By the way, Sadiq Khan's the son of a bus driver. I don't know if you know that yet. Uh, I was the last person in Britain to find out. He won't fucking shut up about it. And he demonstrates the fact that his dad was a bus driver by getting on a bus. And, well, firstly, it can't be a real London bus, right? Because he gets on there, he gets a seat nice and easy. Um, but you just think, he's sort of sat there and there's a couple of people just laughing away on the back of the bus. And he's narrating it and you think, it would have been a lot funnier if he'd have done a version at rush hour, getting on a London bus without all the soft focus shit. Hi, I'm Sadiq Khan. I'm the son of a bus. Oi, mate, I was at the front of the queue. I don't care if you've got a fucking push chair, mate. I've been stood here for five minutes in the piss rain. Yeah, hello, mate. So I'm Sadiq Khan. So, boop, boop. Mate, I topped it up yesterday. I swear to God I did. George Galloway's is my favourite. Oh, have you seen it? You just go on uh, YouTube and type in George Calloway, respect London Mayor. It's him in a linen suit, black fedora, going, Hello, I'm George Galloway, and I'm standing to be your London Mayor. But firstly, it's so threatening. You sort of think, he knows I'm watching this. The way his eyes burn through that screen, you think, he can definitely see me. It's almost like he's going to go, I know you're watching. It's like something from... It's like Liam Neeson in Taken. <laughs> and if you don't vote for me, I will find you. I have a specific set of skills. It's amazing. But there's a, his whole argument with London Mayor is the last two mayors, whatever you think of them, Boris Johnson and Ken Livingston, have been big figures. London again needs a real character. It's basically saying, look, you've had two nutters already. <laughs> so why not make it three in a row? Some of them are my favourite. There's so many funny ones, and some of them are the smaller parties. Uh, Solidarity uh, in Scotland, uh, Tommy Sheridan's party. You may remember Tommy Sheridan. He was in this Celebrity Big Brother house. He did Time for Perjury and stuff like that. Permatan guy. If you don't know him, he's a very strapping fellow, quite an attractive-looking guy. And in Scotland, um, there are two ballot papers. There's a pink paper, which is the first paper, which is your constituency uh, candidate you would vote normally. And then the second, the lilac one, is the top-up system that allows proportional representation based on the list system. Now, I think I've explained it fairly straightforwardly there. Tommy Sheridan's put out a video of him and his wife 
discussing how these two bits of paper work. And then no word of a lie, it's his wife going, Tommy, we've got two papers at this election. One's pink and one's lilac. Which one? is going, no. I don't want people to vote for us on the first paper. He sounds like the kind of gladiators. You will go on my second paper. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Um, this is the most, well, one of the weirdest. The Plaid Cymru one is soft music, and it's loads of their leading politicians, and I'm not making this up, talking about relatives that have died. It is the most fucked up. And they've obviously thought, oh, it will let people feel close to us. It just feels very, very odd. They're just going, I lost my dad when I was about 25, and I never got over that. And you're like... You sort of feel like it's going to be a Scottish Widow's advert or something. Like, where? And then Leanne Woods, there's a great bit. The guy's going, I, I wish I could see my granddad now. I really do. Because he instilled in me my values. And he sort of the answer is where this is going. And, but you just get used to listening to all this bereavement. So when they talk about politics, it feels quite vulgar. Because, and that's why we need to invest in small businesses in weirds. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking, your bedside manner's awful. Imagine telling him, oh, Ian, man. Yeah, I've had an awful time... My grandma died over the weekend. Oh, I'm very sorry to wear that. I mean, at a time like this, you must remember to put your recycling out. <laughs> um, Sinn Féin. Um, what's all about Sinn Féin? I've done some about their website before. Is They always start their um, broadcasts and their uh, literature talking about how important it is that Ireland moves on. It's Jerry Adams. As it, it's important that Ireland moves on and the new settlement. It's important that Ireland is for everybody, regardless of political or religious belief. And it's important that all parties in Northern Ireland recognise that Ireland is for everybody, even people we disagree with. You know, this is great. And it's time to move forward with a different language now. And it's time, oh, this, oh, this is great. It's very inspiring, actually. I was watching it, and then it ends with him stood in front of a mural of Bobby Sands going, join the rising. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! It's like a second away from pulling up out of club and shh, shh. <laughs> fucking crikey! Uh, the SNP, of course, have got uh, do very good party political broadcast. The SNP, uh, the one this year focuses on the fact uh, that young people can vote, and uh, it's something that the SNP have brought in. So their party political broadcast shows a lot of sixteen-year-olds, and there's uh, a girl playing the drums. It's uh, the SNP have brought in a lot, or whatever it is, that sixteen-year-olds uh, can vote. Young people are the future. Their decisions are very nice. A young girl playing the drums, uh, three girls taking a selfie, uh, and then one guy sort of shaving, sort of sixteen-year-old, sort of going ah like that, and he shaved, and you think. If you'd have caught him five minutes earlier, <laughs> that would have been a very different party political broadcast. <laughs> Fucking get out! Hey! Uh, ladies and gentlemen, of always, uh, as always, rather, you've been uh, a wonderful crowd. We have a guest that I'm so excited about in the second half, um, one of the most exciting politicians uh, currently in the UK. So um, at the end of the show, towards the end of the show, I always open up the uh, audience to questions. I know sometimes people are a little bit... Um, shy about putting their hand up but think about a question you'd like to ask Angus Robertson and towards the end of the show hopefully you will get to ask it as always thank you very much for coming down and supporting the night I'll see you in about 20 minutes cheers <laughs> hello everybody welcome back everyone have a good break yeah. excellent well refreshed anyone changed their mind on the EU yet <laughs> no good uh, well maybe maybe our next guest will um, we've had uh, an SNP guest in the past uh, Tommy Shepherd. was anyone here for that 
Yeah. It was superb. Um, one of the uh, one of the nicest uh, people we've had here. Not that everyone else has been a. Makes it sound like we've had some real pieces of shit. We've <laughs> 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 had some absolutely oh, wonderful people down here. And um, always keen to get a spread across um, the ideological divide and uh, across the career divide. I think it's fair to say that really the story of this parliament um, has been the SNP and the story of the general election was the SNP. I think the story, obviously, of the Scottish elections overwhelmingly is going to be the SNP. And it's a party that I think for a lot of people in England, they're really looking at in detail for the very first time. And one of the people that has been one of the beacons for their support, as well as having a very popular leader in Nicola Sturgeon, but certainly for those, uh, the rest of us across the UK, uh, has been my next guest. He has frankly become, and rightly so, regarded as the real leader of the opposition at Prime Minister's Question Time, getting more out of David Cameron in two questions than I've seen Corbyn get out of six uh, at any point during this Parliament. He's one of the best performers uh, in Parliament, a man universally respected across the Chamber. Please give a massive welcome to Angus Robertson. Thanks, Matt. Angus, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much. Please have a seat. Um, hello, everybody. Hello. 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 hello, hello. Um, well, thank you for coming to join, uh, to join us. Um, That's uh, kind. Just stop for a minute here. Yeah. Right. I was sitting in the audience for the first half with much of the rest. Are you a little bit worried about how many party political broadcasts he watches? <laughs> because I don't know about you, but when I'm watching my favourite show, uh, and you know the thing comes on with a ballot box that turns around, you know, that now follows a party political broadcast by the whatever party, I sort of change. <laughs> and they, I mean, I think you need to be honest with your audience here. You're really enjoying it, aren't you? <laughs> I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you record them? Um, I, if I miss them, I watch them back on YouTube or the iPlayer. Do you then practice them? Because you did them quite well, you know, the, with the accents and everything. <laughs> I just sort of take them in as they happen. Um, I've had girlfriends that have actually begged me to watch porn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show I was not laughing at that joke. <laughs> um, um, we have to start really talking about Prime Minister's Question Time, Angus, because it's been such a... I mean, it's, maybe you don't think of it in these terms, but it's been such a boost for your profile as an individual. Is that something that you're sort of aware of? Well, I was more aware of an, an interview that, that I gave to a, a popular online news site that, that um, um, when I had said about how I think about what questions I should ask on, on Wednesday, and I said that I usually made my decisions on the Wednesday morning whilst I'm in the shower was then written up as Angus Robertson thinks of David Cameron in the shower. <laughs> right. No, I don't, actually. I don't. Um, but it is... So, what, it's nearly a year now, isn't it? So we're, yeah. it was May last year. And I'm, I get two questions every week guaranteed. Jeremy Corbyn gets six before me. One of the really bizarre things about all of that, when I first started doing it was I was slightly concerned... Because obviously it's high profile and people are watching. And, are, and I was really worried that Jeremy Corbyn would get up and ask really good questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he would ask questions that were relevant to the yeah. week. Or were relevant to Labour voters. <laughs> I don't know, this, this week was a classic example. I went into our, to speak to colleagues this morning and I went, right, well, here are my options. And I'm right in thinking, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn will be going on the most important strike in the National Health Service since 
the foundation of the National Health Service after the Second World War. I mean, that is the obvious thing. Would it not be? <laughs> and I, I was sitting there today, and then he went on for the second week in a row about academies. Yeah. Now, education is really important, and this issue about what should happen in English schools, I, I know it's really important, but you're sitting there going, doctors are on strike. <laughs> and it's and like that every week. <laughs> yeah, well, every single, every single week, I never, I'm, I never am surprised by the fact that he has brought up what I think would be... If I had six questions right at the top of PMQs, um, it might change how I thought about some things, but I, honestly, hand on heart, I have never, ever had to go to Plan B. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever, ever, ever in PMQs. And um, because my question had been stolen, you know, I'd thought about this really tough thing for the Prime Minister, and, oh, no, he's asked it, and then he's done a follow-up about it, and then I'll be exposed for not having thought of something original. <laughs> it's not happened once. No? Air pollution it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's this... Do you remember how he started off his first week when he was doing PMQs, and he... Um, he had this strategy that every single question was that somebody had written in. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, Samantha from Sudbury has written to me and, you know, it's a really serious issue, so will the... Pri and I thought, that's a really good tactic. And that was the first week. So you emailed him. <laughs> <laughs> Angus from Speyside <laughs> says... But then it just kept on going. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Because, of course, as a tactic, it's, qu it's quite clever. As a tactic that you might deploy once in a while, you've got a difficult week, you know that you might be attacked. Because, obviously, Cameron has got really, really hot advisors, and he's actually got, got some quite good um, people who sort of write funny lines, and he, you know, they're, they're quite cutting and all of that. And, you, you, yeah, you, you would have thought that... For the first week, perhaps, you're wanting to protect yourself so nobody's going to attack, you know, whoever from, you know, Damien from Dudley, who's, you know, really concerned about why he lost his job or whatever. But then it just went on and on and on and on, and you thought, God, this is awful. And it's not stopped. Your, um, your style massively contrasts with his. Um, you've been an MP since 2001, but it must, you must feel a little bit of extra pressure, perhaps, at your first PMQs and standing up. And one thing I've noticed is that you, you stand up, you're very clear, you're very straight, you take a beat before you speak, and that seems to just get the command of the House immediately. Um, so, do I have to give away all of my secrets here? Is there anybody here from Conservative Central Office? And, <laughs> or they're going to listen to the podcast and go, oh, that's what he does. Um, I... So my questions tend to be, I think, quite straight. I'm not really into the, you know, my dad's bigger than your dad, you're rubbish, you know, all of that stuff. That's, that's, that's not where I'm at. That's a heck of a plan B. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, you had my jacket, good side new. <laughs> um, and so, the, I mean, I, I suppose one thing that might be difficult for, for Downing Street is I don't think it's predictable. Mm. So I would, um, I had cause recently because I get these emails or I look at my Twitter timeline after PMQs and you obviously I get fear, feedback from all kinds of people and you're second guessing, you know, <laughs> how mainstream is that view. Um, and I, so, you know, I don't know. I, I get up and I ask a pretty serious question about the biggest genocide in Europe since the Second World War. 
Srebrenica, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a party political issue. It's, I think the UK has, and I've said it, I, I said it in my question, I thought the UK government has done really good things compared to elsewhere in Europe, and I think it's important uh, in opposition not just to be oppositionist. I think where the things are good, I think you should say that and bring things up. But of course I get some people, you know, why did you not raise an issue that's Scottish? <laughs> because you're a Scottish party. So, you know, as if that's all you are entitled to, you know, so you get that from one extreme and you get that, we didn't vote for you to bring up issues like that, <laughs> and you're thinking but honestly, it doesn't matter what it is, you get all kinds of, you know, you get nice things sometimes you get other people saying, oh, you've got your facts wrong or you get all kinds of stuff, but for me, I have to weigh up every week, what have I asked questions about before yeah. um, should I bring up something new, sometimes I've made a virtue of following up from a previous week so one of the issues that I ran on was because of the changes of uh, what's going on in benefits and sanctions, and obviously that's very difficult, particularly for people with mental health difficulties, uh, that sadly there aren't are people who take their own lives. Mm. And I think that's pretty important. And I think if people are going to be in desperate straits, we want to make sure that, that you know, people are not killing themselves. And I ran that back to back, and I think the Prime Minister found it very uncomfortable in the first week. I found it, he found it even more uncomfortable the next week. So, it, you know, you, you can mix things up, you can follow things up, you can do things that might be expected of you, you can do things. And I think that's totally different to uh, Corbyn's approach, um, being pretty straight about it. I mean, I, I think it, what's What's quite a good tactic, and I've done it a number of times, is you tee up an issue which is very difficult for the Prime Minister to disagree with. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm quite proud that in the 1930s the UK took Jewish kids in. Yeah. One of the, the limitations at, uh, at PNQs is you don't have a lot of time, so I, I should, I, if it was longer, I'd be going dot, 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 but we should remember that in 1938 a lot of... Do we ask ourselves why it's called the kinder transport? Mm. And that's because people here didn't want the adults to come because they didn't want too many Jews to come. That's what the debate was in 1938. Now, sadly, I don't have time to go through the highways and byways of difficult things uh, like that, because, you know, it's the issue of today. So you, you, you make a virtue of the fact that the UK did a good thing by taking in Jewish kids in 1938. So we have to ask ourselves why in 2016 we're letting the French have to deal with it, or the Germans or the Swedes. Um, and, you know, 10,000 kids have gone missing in continental Europe. It's appalling. So that was, my, that was my question today. But Cameron seems to have a lot of respect for you, doesn't he? In, in, compared to the, the way that he deals with Corbyn, which is quite disdainful, and I would say sometimes Cameron at his worst when he's too dismissive and too arrogant, he seems to have... <coughs> almost, he's, he's almost scared of you, I think. Well, uh, Cameron's got an inner flashman, <laughs> um, which you see coming out sometimes. I don't know how many of you know the, the, the character of this sort of huzzah, you know, cr from the Crimean wartime... And it's sort of, um, you know, those, when he's sort of said, calm down. Yeah, quite, he did that a few you know, times he's, today. He's done it. He's, he does it to sort of, to female opposition. And you're just thinking, oh, why on earth would you do that? I mean, it's disrespectful, it's rude, it's sexist, it's all of those awful. But he, he ha obviously has this inner flashman where he thinks he's, he knows better about things. He's not done that to me since I have had two questions. He did it to me in previous parliaments when we only had one. Uh, or I only had one when I was leader of the SNP in, in past parliaments where we only had six members. But now, because we have many more, I have two questions. And I think he knows that there, there was ob there's obviously a big danger doing that after the first question. Yeah. Because he has no idea what the follow-up is. <laughs> um, and I, I, sometimes, if you see today's PMQs, I was getting heckled by Tory MPs. And uh, I hit back at them 
uh, in a way that Corbyn didn't. And I think they, I mean, they just, I think they come off over terribly because there's a ma there's a huge difference, I think, in the dynamics of when you're sitting in the chamber and when you're watching in the news or Parliament Channel or whatever. And I think that sort of private school jolly hockey sticks, you know, where we're we're going to heckle you about a really serious subject comes over terribly for you know um, you know people who are watching who are not sitting in the chamber. So um, yeah. I, I had to go back at them. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I paraphrase. I, they, they, I think they were trying to... They were suggesting that my comparison of not taking children in in 2016 has absolutely nothing to do with what happened in the 1930s. And I hit back saying I thought that... Uh, I think there was a comparison, which was that if there's an existential threat to people's lives, that is the same thing. You know, if you're going to be taken away by child traffickers or sexually abused or whatever, whatever, you know, um, you know that's super serious, and it is that serious. Sorry, I'm kind of on a, this is supposed to be a comedy evening. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about really serious things, but yeah. I, I think these things. I think people care about it here. Yeah. Some people have said, "Oh, you bring up you know," because we. I, I was the first person to bring up refugees um, in this parliament, and. Um, People say, oh, you know, not only the why don't you just do Scottish things and, and all of that, but, you know, it's, it's a serious subject. And some people say that, you know, you don't win votes by bringing up subjects like that. Uh, you know, people are unhappy with the amount of uh, immigrants and, you know, there's fear and uh, the boat's full and all of that and all of that. But I don't, I don't think that's true for a lot of people. I've had so many people come up saying, oh, I wish somebody else would bring that up, or yeah. uh, I wish we'd hear more of this. I mean, I don't know if you're going to come on to things European, but it's, I, I just think um, the debate such as it is now is just so appalling and doesn't actually play to the positive visions that either side of the campaign might want to have. And that's um, it sort of descended into the worst reflection of Project Fear, which, of course, was of course. the no campaign in the Scottish referendum on independence. It was basically tell everybody you're too wee, too poor, too stupid, and you know, the world will end if you vote for Scottish independence. I mean, I'm a pro-European. I'm, I'm really keen for the UK and Scotland to remain in the EU. But if it's done on the back of we're going to turn into Albania if we vote no, I mean, come on. <laughs> Have any of you seen that poster? Oh, it's I mean, ridiculous. It's just embarrassing. Oh, can you, imagine the, can you imagine the pitch? Yeah, yeah, we'll bring in these people who are paying a lot of money to give us advice on our, our poster campaign. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, we've got a photo montage of Buckingham Palace, and we're going to put an Albanian flag on the top, and we're going to suggest that the UK is going to turn into Albania. And then it's about... And the then, and then, just yeah. wait for it, people went, that's a tremendous idea. <laughs> thinking who you know what on earth was going through their minds but then it's the it's the sort of sea of red-shirted people are they soldiers i mean if you haven't seen it it looks like what was that old um toothpaste advert where there was red soldiers and blue soldiers and one of them fought plaque and one of them fought tooth decay like an old sensodyne f if that was such a was it sensodyne it looks like a crap old it's a bad photoshop isn't it but i agree with you about the um uh, the tone of it, and I think that's something that probably concerns everyone here. And of course, Project Fear is something, yeah. that, a phrase um, that comes from the, the Scottish referendum. I mean, uh, referendums have got to be one of the biggest exports coming out of Scotland, don't <laughs> uh, Yeah, we know how to do them. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, I mean, firstly, let's deal with, with the last one, yep. with, um, with the Scottish independence vote in 2014. 
still very fresh in people's minds. I mean, as an experience to go through as a political party, did you realise at the time that it would then lead to such a surge in support for the SNP? No. It was such an all-consuming um, number of years because <clears throat> we had won the Scottish parliamentary elections in 2011 and I, because I had been the campaign director for the Scottish Parliament elections in 2011 and 2007, thought, well, it would be probably quite a good idea to learn about how these things are elsewhere. So that summer I went to Quebec, because they'd had a referendum in 1995 to work out, are there similarities or are there not similarities? What are the lessons to learn? And it was pretty clear early on that it was going to be totally consuming um, constitutional politics in Scotland, obviously, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely defining. So, in in politics in the rest of the UK, often things are the very issue based and you know fine and they're important issues. But in in Scottish politics, we have a north star. We know where we want to get to. That's where we want to get to, and we will give absolutely everything to try and get ourselves there. And so, people invested everything gave up all of their spare time. I mean, I just contrast that with a European referendum where if you get a single leaflet through your door, you're lucky. Yeah. Um, has anybody knocked on anybody's door here and said, have you thought about voting? Have you, you know, well, there you go. I mean, that just yeah. tells you everything you need to know. In Scotland, whether you're from the yes side or the no side, people cared passionately about it. We had meetings Every week I would go back and there'd be, a, you know, you're speaking in this church hall or you're, you're the, you know, that scout hut and people were turning out. And I really resent um, sometimes when people want to concentrate on the fact that, you know, it was a, an issue that was divisive. Well, you, when you have a binary choice, when you have a make a decision, <laughs> yeah, okay. So on, on, on one level, you know, uh, yes, I disagree with you and you're not going to vote the same way as me and I respect the fact. Now... For the overwhelming majority of people in Scotland, that was their experience. It was pretty intense. Oh, it was very intense. Of that, of that there is no doubt. Um, but I don't think any of us... Sorry, this is a very long answer to no, no, a, a question yeah. about um, could one have expected what would have happened so shortly thereafter in a party political sense? Absolutely not. Um, and that's because we were working so hard to win the referendum, and some of us were actually investing a lot of thought on the basis of us winning so we, we actually thought we could win, and we got pretty close to it happening. There were polls on the, the weekend before yeah. that showed that we were there and thereabouts. What was really pretty gutting for quite a lot of us was that there, there was a fantastic event in the Usher Hall uh, on the, I think it was a Saturday before the referendum, and pretty much everybody who was anybody in, in, in Scottish music or the arts, and all, you know, they were all there, and everybody was so upbeat and, and positive, and the poll numbers were showing that we were getting there, perfect yeah. timing. Yeah. And we really thought that we could do it. We really, really thought we could do it, and we were going to do it, and then, uh, and then we didn't get there. And it was profoundly depressing for about a day. Yeah. And then, and then we were still depressed, but then something started happening, and none of us had anything to do with it. And um, so what happened was suddenly thousands and thousands and thousands of people started joining the SNP online, yeah. and social media was saying, right, well, we're, you know, we, we still, the website, you know, all of that stuff, and the membership started going through the roof, and, I mean, it was something that you just don't experience in politics, um, uh, and that was a, that. So that was a byproduct of people's political engagement because people signed up, whether they were SNP supporters or not, because obviously there were Greens and socialists and there were people on the, on the centre right 
who were in favour of, of Scottish sovereignty. And uh, we didn't win, but we're Democrats. So that doesn't mean you sort of give up <laughs> on what you believe. So we, we didn't persuade enough people, but we are going to continue to make the case. And um, so, no, we didn't expect what, what happened immediately thereafter, and um, the change has been profound. It's been, it's been phenomenal for the SNP, hasn't it? And it's really, <clears throat> in terms of a, a party of government being, becoming more popular in it's, their sort of Latin, mm-hmm. ten, almost 10 years in now to, to the SNP uh, being in power in Hollywood, it's pretty unprecedented. Um, I mean, you talk about it being divisive and things like that, and it certainly on the fringe elements, it, it, it was a little bit too nasty, and some of the demonstrations got out of hand. Also, it brought out a great eccentricity, didn't it? Um, I, I don't know if you've ever met with the guys from the Scottish Resistance. No. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, I'm sure you've seen some of their campaigns. Would I get into difficulty, given I was born in Wimbledon? <laughs> Well, I don't think so, no. I, think, no? Okay. Uh, I don't think it'd be fine. Because um, okay. I, I, like, I like the sort of British eccentrics um, mm-hmm. in, in politics. And the Scottish resistance, if you haven't seen them, uh, they campaigned against Tunnocks because they were going to remove the line from the tea cakes. <laughs> Various different things. And um, my favourite clip of them, they're lovely. Well, in fact, one of them's a Cockney, which is one of the funniest things about it. I think they go to Falkirk Police Station and try and have... David Cameron arrested for war crimes. <laughs> I haven't come across that. I keep on bumping into a guy at SNP events who wears an England rugby top. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, th- this is one of the things that... I don't know how many of you follow Scottish politics or, or sort of get this, but Scotland... I mean, there are many, many English people who live in Scotland, so it's now in half a million. I suppose I qualify by birth as being p- p- part of that group. And there are a lot of people who come from England who support the SNP and support Scottish independence. Because it's not about where we come from, it's about where we want to go. It's not, you know, you're not qualified by sort of, um, you know, what rugby, well, there you go, what rugby team you support. And this chap sort of is making this point. So there he is at the SNP spring conference with his England rugby top, <laughs> kind of making the point. Here I am, this is where I am, this is where I want to go. And I think that's one of the nice sides of, yeah. the nice sides of things. Well, yes, so there is eccentricities on all sides. Because during, I mean, every politician's got sort of war stories and things. Uh, the, the referendum was like a sort of supercharged election yeah. campaign, and it went on for about two years. I mean, did you at any point encounter people on that campaign show who thought, they're probably taking this a bit too seriously? <laughs> Jim Murphy, maybe. <laughs> oh, yes. With his, with his iron blue and his, yeah. How did you um, feel about him? Because I've had him as a guest here, and... Um, I mean, he was, it was the first interview he gave after leading, uh, leaving as uh, Scottish Labour leader, and he was very, uh, I'd say he had a gallows humour about it all. Um, but he had a very difficult time, didn't he? I think many people in the Scottish Labour Party have had a difficult time coming to terms with the fact that they are past their sell-by date. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a curious thing to have watched. So when I, I joined the SNP when... Uh, I was 15, and the SNP was polling under 10% of the vote, and we had two MPs and hardly any councillors, and absolutely no prospects of anything. And at that time, the Labour Party was the dominant force, had been since the 1950s. And the idea that even in my lifetime, they would go from having most seats in the country and run everything else uh, to imploding, nobody could have foreseen. Um, So I think there's a lesson in there for all people in all political parties around humility, around remembering what it's like when you're on the way down <laughs> um, or when you're on the way up to realise what it's like when people yeah. are 
Because I make this point when I... Because you get asked to go on television programmes at election time. And in recent years, the SNP has just been winning and winning more and winning more. And it gets kind of crazy. I mean, we, we have a PR system. We pull more than 50%. I can't think of a single country in Europe yeah. where that's the case for a... a you're all political geeks. Can anybody think of that? <laughs> um, you know, so it's very... Un- anyway, so you're on these television programmes and my colleagues are winning and it's great and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm very mindful of the fact that there are people from other political parties there and they are losing their seats, so they're losing their jobs. Yeah, yeah. Their staff who've worked really hard for them, they're losing their jobs. The things that they believe in, and most of them, well, all of them, let's just say, all of them believe passionately that them doing well is better for the country. Um, and I think it would do for all of us to remember that. Because politics is a contact sport and it is brutal. It is, it is absolutely brutal. But I have to say... I know people in all parties who are really nice and decent people, and we don't say it often enough because the way things are, everybody just wants to hear about the war stories. And then I know that's not what you're, you're, you're <laughs> asking me to you know, tell the dirt on, on Jim Murphy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have known Jim Murphy since student politics days, wow. and he's sort of the eternal politician. And um, he's no longer in politics, so I wish him success. How about that? <laughs> Very diplomatic. Um, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In terms of the people we get on with then, who are your sort of friends in other parties? Good question. Um, I think what tends to happen um, is that when you first get elected, so I was first elected in 2001, you tend to get to know people of the same intake. Like a school year? Like a, exactly like a school year. You, you may know a few years above you because your brother or your sister is in, a, in the year <laughs> further up, and, and so you hear the stories of what they're like. But when you are first learning how things work in Westminster, it's full of really weird rules, and it's, it's not easy to work out how to do things at the start. And then when you realise that there are people in other parties who are nice people and... It's one of the actually, it's actually, oh, hold on, you get an exclusive here. It's one of the advantages of the Westminster Parliament. You know, <laughs> oh, no, hold on, SNP politician gets in real trouble. There's something good about Westminster. <laughs> one of the better things about a larger parliament is um, you, you can get to know people and then not attack them the whole time. I think you're in a smaller country with a smaller parliament. It's a lot more, it's more, a more intimate, and that must make things more difficult. Um, so the, to answer your question, um, who did I get to know? <laughs> well, um, a Tory MP from, from uh, Norfolk, Richard Bacon, who I really like. Bizarrely, a young Tory MP, um, David... 
what's his name again? Um, Cameron. <laughs> um, Did you get on well with him? Well, here's the weird. Here's uh, here's the weird thing. He used to cycle in. Yeah. You know when he was pretending to care about the environment. <laughs> you know that thing where he he'd be cycling yeah. and within camera shot there'd be a car behind him. You would drive that. <laughs> um, and so he used to do that. And uh, so he used to cycle in. And in my flat, uh, the shower didn't work. So, and I didn't like the idea of taking a bath in the morning. So I used to come in, and there's a, there's a, it's like a private members club. It's the, uh, the, uh, the members changing room. Oh. And uh, I, we, we were amongst the only people who use it. So I'd sort of be in there, um, and I'd be coming because the shower didn't work, and he'd come in to change out of his sort of pretendy cycling, <laughs> cycling gear. And uh, I'm going to stop the story there because otherwise I'm going to get into all kinds of trouble. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think of David Cameron when I'm in the shower. Hold on. <laughs> um, uh, but the point is, you, get, you do get to know people in different circumstances. Uh, last year, when I suddenly had all of these new colleagues arriving, and I'm sure Tommy Shepard said this um, when he was, was on your show, was saying one of the defining characteristics of the SNP group is we're all kind of normal people who've done normal jobs and it's one of the reasons why we're doing well because people can see themselves reflected in people who are in, uh, in a group of people who are not sort of career politicians and all of that but one thing I said to all of them was that I think they should get to know people in other political parties and get to know them. I mean I just say I, I, I don't know how many of you watched PMQs today but SNP members started applauding Yvette Cooper mm. when she asked her question about refugees and I think uh, some of my colleagues got into, into trouble when they first arrived because, you know, normal people applaud, don't you, if you think something's all right. You <laughs> know, they did that and suddenly, you know, order, order, you can't do that, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, they were there agreeing with somebody and she happened to be in a different party and that didn't matter. And I think that speaks to a mindset that I, I hope reflects uh, as we are, we are, you know, we... If somebody says something that's worthy of support, uh, there was an, another example today. Hillsborough, a uh, number of Labour MPs have have worked for years and years and years to fight for the families of um, of the victims of, of Hillsborough, and you know we doff our cap to to them and everything that they've done. Um, and I th I think helping colleagues who are new to elected politics to remind ourselves that there are good people in all parties um, and. People care about their constituents, and we might have different views on lots of things. I think serves us all well. But I suppose with a lot of Labour MPs, actually, apart from independents, you probably agree with. You probably have most. Well, here's here's one of the weird things, which is the number of times I'm not going to I'm not going to name names because I'll get into terrible difficulty here. <laughs> the number of times I've got English Labour colleagues who are sort of elected from previous, so I've known them for a while, come up and go, "Oh, I'm on the, on the so and so committee with your colleague, who's, you know." They're excellent. They really know what they're talking about. They're doing really good things. Or, um, you know, your colleague who was speaking on that subject, that was fantastic. And I think one of the changes in Westminster is because there is now literally no Scottish Labour Party because mm. you only have one MP left. And he's a decent guy, not like some of his colleagues who were there before who really were pretty, you know, um, confrontational and, and politically sectarian. Um, well, so his English, his English, pardon me? So who, who were some of the confrontational ones? 
Oh, just watch the Parliament channel from previous elections in terms of... Just listen to the tone that Scottish Labour MPs would in, uh, make reference to. But I wanted to finish the point, yeah. which was... Um, <laughs> the people listening to the podcast will have no idea why there was a laugh then. <laughs> um, is that with the Scottish Labour Party not being there, English Labour colleagues are having to listen to SNP members of Parliament talking about refugees or the IP bill or the health service or whatever, whatever, and they realise, wow, we totally agree with these people mm. and they are reasonable and they are mainstream and um, the number of people said if, if we lived in Scotland we'd vote SNP and all of that happens all the time. Um, and and I, I, think that's, I think that that is a good aspect of what we have been able to inject into Westminster politics because, on the other hand, and I don't want to get... Because this is supposed to be a comedy evening, isn't it? <laughs> but I, I feel really, really sorry for, for people in, in England, given the state of party politics here, because I would be at, at total loss to know what to do, to do if I was voting here. You've got the Liberal Democrats who've gone to hell in the handbasket, and they deserve it. You've got, <laughs> you've, got, you've got the Labour Party who are... Whether people have invested hope into a different kind of politics, and I've no doubt many people have, but, you know... I don't want to be rude about this, but they're unelectable. And you have a Tory party, and you're thinking, are you having a laugh? You're thinking, okay, I'd vote Green, group fine. SNP sits with the Greens in the European Parliament, so you know that kind of speaks to a lot of where we're coming from. But boy, you know, it's a difficult choice, and I feel really sorry because I think you deserve better. We'll be all right. Good. <laughs> Good. Oh. Good. Okay. On that positive note. On that positive note. Yeah. But then. It's tricky in Scotland as well, isn't it? Because if you have one party that's too dominant... I mean, is this something the SNP is slightly wary of? Is, is almost repeating perhaps the mistakes that Labour made in... You in would be repeating the mistake if you were so arrogant as to think that you're always right, that the opposition is always wrong, and that you are not critical of yourself. And I hope that we never, ever, ever find ourselves in that situation. But the responsibility... You know, if you become a really successful party, you're doing that because you're doing something right. Yeah. Now, I would wish for the opposition to be good. Yeah. But they're not. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I have no... Don't get me wrong. So Scotland is, you know, obviously quite small. It's smaller than London, so you know everybody. You know, I know Kezia Dugdale. I know Ruth Davidson. I know Willie Rennie. I just don't get me on to UKIP. Um, <laughs> David you know, Coburn, of, what's he like? Moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, you know, they are decent people. They, are, they care about... You know, they have a sense of public duty. And, you know, I'm not going to patronise them because I know they, they are really working hard trying to sell something that's pretty difficult to sell in terms of their party message. But, as hum you know, as in terms of what they're doing, they are playing an important role in Scottish democracy. But making the, the less personal point, um, you know, these are political parties who, for different reasons, the public have good reason not to support. And I think in politics... All of us in all of our parties have a responsibility to try and make ourselves um, electable. And I think the way you make yourself electable, and that was our lesson from before 2007 was, we had to think about this, because obviously if you've been around for a while, and the SNP has been around for more than 70 years, and if you've never ever won an election, you've got to ask yourself, why? <laughs> yeah, and we did. <laughs> uh, and you know, we, we happened upon a pretty simple thing, which is, are you making a positive case for why people should vote for you? 
you know, we've been talking about Europe. Is anybody making a positive case? So in its own way, it's quite a radical thing to try and define what you want and do it in a, in a positive way. And that's what we did in 2007, and it worked. Did it in 2011, and it worked. And we're still continuing to try to concentrate on what we want, why we think it's better. It's not about the others. They can say whatever they want. Uh, and I think, well, there's some polling evidence out today about how the electorate in Scotland views the different political parties. And as the voting intentions suggest, you have almost exactly the same proportion of the electorate saying we know what the SNP is about and we like it in policy terms. So I think there's a lesson in that there's no monopoly in common sense and politics is cyclical. So other people will come back and they'll have good ideas. And, and I, wish, I genuinely wish them well because if you do not have good opposition, it leads to bad government. And that's in nobody's interest. But equally, it must be very difficult when you're so popular uh, and adored in a way... Really, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon is sort of adored in a way... We haven't seen in the UK politicians since the early days of Tony Blair, where people were genuinely sort of almost emotionally attached to her as an individual. It must be very hard as a party not to behave as if though you're popular. It's very hard to be humble... When everywhere you go, everyone wants a selfie and... It doesn't really work that way in Scotland it, because we, we know each other. You know, I can't as feather is the, the expression. You know, if you, get, if you get above yourself in Scotland, you will be taken down a peg almost immediately. So if you uh, had, say, a helicopter with your face on the side of it, would that be...? No, I'd be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Never had that. Never had that. Never had that. Um, but is there not a danger with the SMPs? Perhaps that you're so popular that... You do appear to be... I hope not. A little arrogant at times? I hope not. I I hope not. People will make up their own minds. I just draw my own conclusions. We, you know, on the website it said, do you want to come to the SNP manifesto launch? And the best part, 2,000 people wanted to turn up to a manifesto launch. You look at the (laughs) manifesto launch of the Labour Party in Scotland today and it's, um, you know, there's 30 people there, 40 people there, and most of them are journalists. I mean, we have, a, we have a connection with voters. People do like us. People do not think the SNP is arrogant. People, now, don't get me wrong. If you read the Daily Mail, you hate the SNP, you hate independence, you really don't like us. So you're not going to come to the SNP manifesto launch and you're not going to want a selfie with Nicola Sturgeon. So, okay. But you can't persuade everybody. But um, You almost have, though. I mean, you, you, so I don't popular. know. When I'm driving with my car through my constituents with a big SN, vote SNP thing and these Land Rovers are going past, you know, so they're slightly higher, <laughs> I, I can see that they're probably not going to vote SNP. Is that, is, that, is that a hunch or are they sort of indicating them in a particular way? No, there's a distinct contrast between them and the lorry and bus drivers who are doing a big thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I don't tend to get that very often from Land Rover drivers. <laughs> dot 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 other brands are available <laughs> so you've, you've been through the, the independence referendum in Scotland there's the EU referendum now yeah. um, some people have suggested that it is um, perhaps not entirely intellectually consistent to on the one hand argue against sharing sovereignty and then on the other argue that you should if that were the case that would be intellectually inconsistent yes do you not think it is? That's, well, not, the case. Not, that's, not, that's not the case we've been making. I think there's a debate here, there's a debate everywhere about how do we make decisions and how close to the citizen do we make it. And I think the reality for all of us is, you know, outside North Korea, the, North, the leadership of the North, North Korean state, uh, we live in an interdependent world. Autarky, if it ever existed, happened a long time ago. 
we have to find ways in which we work together. Where, where we have a different view is, we think that still, when it comes to working together between nations, the best way to do it is through multilateral organizations, which is why we're pro-EU, why we're happy to work in, in other um, international organizations where countries come together. But we believe that the building block of the international community is states. So we have to ask ourselves in Scotland, well, hold on, why are we uniquely not in a position that we should do what everybody else does? Uh, now, there is a case that says, look, the United Kingdom is, is totally different to elsewhere, and it's a multinational state, and pooling and sharing, and I know, I know all the arguments. I would make the point that many of the, the points that are made, um, apparently, about why the United Kingdom as a state should remain as our, the entity in which we are a part of, where most of the most important decisions are made, are not actually the byproduct of the state. So I'm a fan of the social union. England is not a foreign country to me. Yeah. I do not dislike England. I do not dislike English people. Um, It'd be awkward if you did. <laughs> It'd be self-loathing, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. Oh, Wimbledon. Oh, yes. Um, I, yeah. Um, but in terms of the, the fact that we can have a social union, the fact that we can live in a, uh, a single travel area, incidentally, together with the Irish Republic, that we can have the same head of state, that we can, we can share these things, which I think... When I speak with you know, my English cousins um, and we laugh at the same jokes and we can have the same cultural references, we are not foreign. I'm sorry, but when I sit with my friends from Dublin or Cork, they are no more or less foreign than my, my cousins who are Londoners. Um, so the, the point, I mean, it's not, it's not a simple point, uh, given that we are, we are having this never-ending discussion about where do we make decisions. Do we make them internationally? at the United Nations? Is the European Union working well? Do we do it as a, a multinational state, the UK? Uh, you know, to what extent uh, do we empower local government? I mean, think about it in English terms, goodness me. Um, city deals, does the northeast of England want more decision-making? There's massive differences of opinion in England around all of these things. What is beyond dispute is Scotland's a nation, and as Frank Field said, you know, you're a country... Uh, you probably will become independent. I think we will become independent. I think, uh, I hope, that what we will be better able to articulate, both in Scotland, which would take us beyond 45%, and the rest of the UK, and this is part of the job of the SNP now at Westminster as a third party, is to help people understand we are not wanting to turn our backs on uh, the, the island that we live, uh, on our neighbours and friends here, whether in England, whether in Wales, whether in Ireland, north or south, that what we're talking about is, I boil it down to its most basic level, I think normal countries are governed by the people that you elect. And I'm sorry, my country for most of my life has been governed by people that we did not elect. Now, that's not normal. My country is governed by a political party that has one seat, one seat in Parliament. Nobody would accept that in another normal country. Nobody it's crazy. Um, that's the reality that we're in. Now, it's not that anybody gets up in England and goes, oh, we're going to make bad decisions about Scotland today. You know, that is not how it works. But it's, as somebody else said, I didn't come up with this description, but it is like being in bed with an elephant. Uh, and if you're a mouse, that ain't a great, you know, that's not going to end happily. Um, but you're a Scottish lion, surely. <laughs> That's the first time that that would ever be. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm trying to make a serious point yeah. here, which is um, 
uh, we have to make a case that you know, we, are not, we do not have some crazy, backward-looking dream of an autarkic Scotland that was some perfect thing. You know, it never was. This is about something for the 21st century where we think if we can make decisions closer to home, they'll be better. We want to work with our neighbours and friends. We can think of imaginative ways of continuing to do that on these islands. I think there's a real opportunity to do that between all of us, and I'm including Ireland in that equation. And I think we should be doing it in a European uh, context and again, making a serious point in a comedy show, so I'm sorry for doing this, but I'm That's terribly fine. sorry. But if we have to look at the last century and realise that we were very, very, very regular at killing each other, and I think anything that brings us together in a way that forces us to argue about bendy bananas or, you know, the great British cleavage or whatever it is... Um, you pointed at me when you said that. I mean, I've, <coughs> I've lost a bit of weight. <laughs> But you know that I'm point. I'm the yeah. point. I'm, I'm, oh, absolutely. I, I find it remarkable that, um, uh, you know, I'm a political junkie, a bit like you. Although I don't watch the PPBs, so I'm <laughs> I'm watching the funeral of um, Hans Dietrich Genscher, you know, German Foreign Minister, the other the other week there, and there are all these people there. There's James Baker. There's all of these statesmen of the of the 20th century, and everybody is going on and on and on and on about a man and his vision that would bring Europe together and that we'd stop killing each other. And you're thinking, wow, that's, I mean, that's, pretty, that's pretty important stuff. And you think, do you know what? I can't actually think of anybody in British politics about whom that would have been said. Not a single person Churchill. now. No, now. Of course, Churchill, goodness me, of course, absolutely. But now. And that's where I think we're having this debate about Europe and we're kind of missing some of the point on it which is, it's imperfect, it doesn't work properly, we need to reform it. Um, but I think we're better doing that within it as sovereign states. Well, I, 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 t- I think the, the, the case is compelling. What, what is interesting, obviously, is that the case was put about a year and a half ago and mm. 55% of, yep. of, of, uh, of voters disagreed. Yep. What, at the time, obviously, it was said, you know, it's once in a generation, once in a lifetime. How do you then sort of get round that? level of rhetoric by promising another one? Well, I go back to my point. We're Democrats, so I don't, I don't give up on what I believe in, but I'm a Democrat, so I accept that that is what the majority of people voted for. And I would say to them, as I would say to the 45% who voted yes, that um, I hope in time to be able to make the case and put the question and persuade those who weren't persuaded last time. Um, you know, that's it. Yeah. We're not Scotland. Scotland is not going to become independent by stealth. You know, you're not going to you're not going to be able to cheat those who the fifty five percent who voted against Scottish independence, and suddenly, you know, they're going to wake up in something that they don't want. I mean, it doesn't work like that. There will be another referendum if people want there to be another referendum, and I don't want a referendum unless we're going to win it. And yeah, the, the level of support for Scottish independence has gone up since the referendum, but it's not consistently. Over 50%. That's, that's not where it's at. So we still have to make a case. We still have to persuade. And maybe part of what our job to do at Westminster is to help people understand that there is another way because we've got a job to do and we didn't instill everybody with enough confidence to put their trust in, in something that I think would have been transformational and a really good thing. But when people are ready for it and you know, we're mindful of the fact that there were a great many people who voted, voted no, who were older voters. Um, you know, so, you know, society changes. Um, and <laughs> that sounds very sinister. 
So that's, sounds like a polite Cymru party political broker. No. Well, <laughs> well I, 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 I could, I could, e- I could equally, I could. I haven't seen that PPP. I, uh, I could, uh, and you'll never, you'll never get me to do a Welsh, a Welsh accent um, impersonation. Can you do it? No, because you're good at voices. Northern Irish. No, I'm, I'm going to get myself. Oh well, oh yeah. <laughs> so I've got the good fortune that I represent more than half of all of Scotland's malt whiskey industry. Oh, it's Perks. pretty good. I've got 44 distilleries in my constituency. It's ace. Please visit, <laughs> <coughs> visit Speyside. It's halfway between Inverness and Aberdeen. I don't know why I'm putting a sort of voiceover. <laughs> Come to Speyside. <laughs> it's great. That's nice. um, and uh, we used to, when there were six of us, we used to sit just in front of the Northern Irish members. And uh, the former first minister of North, well, the former leader of the DUP, the Reverend Ian Paisley, used to describe me as the honourable member for Devil's Buttermilk. <laughs> and I'll stop there because I'll get into all kinds of trouble. Yes. So do you, can you impersonate colleagues and things? Other politicians? No. <laughs> Who's your favourite person to not impersonate? <laughs> I am so not going. I am. I am. Anyway, back to PPDs by uh, by by Plaid Cymru. Yeah. No, I wasn't being sinister. Oh no, I no. I understand the point you're making is that um, older people die. <laughs> <laughs> that we didn't persuade also. <laughs> but is, is there not... See, my, see, I still worry, right? I, it's not... I still... For some bizarre reason, I worry about decision-makers. I worry for them, right? Now, this is... A, oh, you can't worry it, your whole life, so, Matt. Come I on. know, I know. But I worry, I think... You ever thought of getting a couch here and not just a seat? And you can talk about your worries. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You notice he's sort of, for the podcast listeners, Matt is now sort of lying back. He's reclining. You know, I was in Austria for ten years, so I can sort of do a sort of Sigmund Sigmund Freud. Yeah, so your problems. So your, so your problems, Matt. How? What are you dreaming of? Well, um, what, what, what I worry about? I worry on behalf. I worry on behalf of. You should not worry. I'm loving this, right. right? But I worry on behalf of decision makers, right? So I worry that if I was SNP, right? I Do you worry... dream this? It's mostly during the day. Um, I dream of Cornish pasties a lot. This I... is now getting weird. <laughs> but what I, what I genuinely worry about, right? I think, right, if I was an SNP advisor, yeah, I've got this huge amount of support, um, turbocharged by the referendum, yeah, and then reaching out to other people who didn't vote, yes. yes is that my fear on, on your behalf, bizarrely, is that Thank you. if you <laughs> spend that political capital on a referendum that some of your supporters don't want, then that sort of pricks the bubble. And people go, actually, you're only interested in independence and not everything else. And if I was working for the SNP, I'd be like, that's our biggest risk, is pushing it too far too quick. And not just losing the referendum, but actually undermining the brand. Am well, I right well, to be worried, Doctor? He says, whilst he says, whilst he says, no, you should not be that. Um, 
No. Um, so, so first on, yeah, po- politic, politics is about choices, so there are, it, everything is inherently risky. Of course it is. But one of the reasons why I think the SNP has done well is because I think we have a sense of where Scotland's at, and that's not just about people who are persuaded. It's also about people who are not yet persuaded, and which is why I, I keep on hearing about my colleagues who've been elected more recently as MPs or previously as, as MSPs, people coming up and saying, never voted for you guys, never like, you know, never like that Robertson guy or whatever. Um, but your local, whatever, your local person is really good, mm. and they work very hard. Now, there's plenty of people who do that in politics in all parties, but I think... Um, we work very, very hard to try and help people get what we're all about. Now, no political party can appeal credibly to everybody. You can't do that. And so, yeah, we're trying to do something, i.e. govern competently, be in opposition in Westminster and do that well, uh, and at the same time, explain, build a bridge for people to cross who've not yet got there. And sure, of course, there are a whole lot of people. I mean, I get, oh, when's the next referendum? To which I say, well, when people want it. And, you know, we will never tire of saying it. And uh, you can be on sort of serious political programs on a Sunday morning and people want to catch you out by saying, you know, when will this referendum be? And I, I, I know it might sound blithe and uh, as if you're not answering the question, but we'll know when the people want to have the question asked. And we will have persuaded more than 45% of people that that's where they want to go. And that's when we will. I mean, it's not, like I said before, you're not, nobody's going to be tricked into anything. Nobody's going to be bounced into anything. And one of the reasons why we do quite well is we know where people are at. Now, having said that, events can happen. Events happen in politics all the time. So I keep on getting, oh, what happens if the UK votes to leave the EU but Scotland votes to remain in? And my answer to that circumstance is that is not what I want to happen because mm. I don't want the UK to leave, whether Scotland's part of it or not. I would wish the UK to, to be a, Euro- a European neighbour and ally, whether we're part of the UK or not. However, um, if Scotland votes to remain in and through a referendum process in 2014 where we were told we had to vote no, so against Scottish independence, to remain in Europe... Mm. You with me? Now, two years later, you're having people taking you out. Yeah. That is a big issue. Well, it's a compelling case, really, for a second referendum. Um, I, I wonder if Scotland were to become independent, obviously something you want to see in your lifetime and something we may well see, what would you miss most about Westminster? Well, the first thing I'd be saying, I'd be so tired and knackered by the celebrations of having got there. I'd be lying in a darkened room listening to Vivaldi or something like that. What would I miss the most about Westminster? Um, good question. I mean, I, 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 it is not all bad. I've already said to you there are, there are uh, elements to it that I think um, are... Uh, you know, I enjoy. I, I, enjoy, I am. I am honoured that I represent an amazing part of the world, and I'm sent to do a job to speak up for people there on their behalf. And so, whether that is in Westminster or Holyrood or Brussels or Timbuktu, it doesn't really matter. But hey, London is one of the world's greatest cities. So, curiously, one of my biggest regrets is I've been commuting here for 15 years, and I, I don't know it as well as I as I should do. Notwithstanding the fact I have family here and. I hardly see them either. So I suppose our regret 
is that notwithstanding the fact that I've, I've been here for a long time, I don't know it as well as I should do. I'll show um, you around. So I'll come back. Oh, great. great. <laughs> um, but I, I cannot begin to imagine that my attention would not be turned to trying to make sure that we, having secured Scottish sovereignty, then make it be the success that it could be. So I think I, I wouldn't be losing any sleep over the fact that I don't have a five-hour journey every week from home to here and five hours back every week. And that's just from one um, side of London to the other. That's right. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's just to Heathrow because, the, yeah, okay. Um, because I, I think it'd be a hugely exciting project to be part of uh, and to, to, to help Scotland... Uh, take its place in Europe, in the United Nations, and do it. Because for us, it's not about just getting there, of having this status. It's about having the ability to do things. And that's hugely exciting, I think, for anybody in politics. A lot of people in politics never have the chance to change things tremendously. Um, but we have this opportunity to, um, to make this profoundly um, transformational change for the best. So I, I can't wait. Well, let's take some questions from the audience. So if you have the house lights up, and if you'd like to ask Angus a question, please uh, indicate clearly by putting your arm in the air, and uh, we'll get a mic to you. Uh, yes, the gentleman at the front, just wait for the microphone to come down. We've got a radio mic coming. Zoo York. There he is. Oh, mate. And let us know your name. And uh, Sorry, question. it says Zoo York in his T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Angus. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hello, mate. Um, so, uh, at the last Westminster elections, I had a friend who was considering betting on a clean sweep up north by the SNP. Oh, oh, don't um, do this, don't do this. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, and I strongly advised against it purely due to where I come from, which is Shetland Islands. Yeah. And I'd like to know what your thoughts are on the situation following the election with Alistair Carmichael. And good question. What do you think would be a good way of having, I don't know, at least so holding them to account for actions like that, say in the future, not in this case. Okay. So, um, the idea that the SNP would win Orkney and Shetland for somebody who comes from that part of the world. So it, I would vote with SNP, but I said there's. There's no chance. Exactly. So it's it, you know if you're, you're thinking in terms of the safest of safest seats, that is about the safest seat the Lib Dems have anywhere in the UK, and it's in part because yeah they've had people who have re represented that part of the world with distinction, but also the other political parties have never believed they could ever win. The SNP is now in a situation where we have won all but th bar three seats in the whole of the country. And if you have a look at the results in the three seats that we didn't win, which was Edinburgh South from Labour, was Dumfries from the Tories, and was Orkney and Shetland from the Liberals, if you look at how close we came, it was very, very close. So if I was a betting person, I think it'd be worth a bet that this time, next week, that the SNP could be winning Orkney or winning Shetland or winning both. But isn't, is that not insider trading? Do I, do I not get into... I was... Uh, I was um, so I was... I think I said I was campaign director in 2007 and 2011. You know, I, I honestly never occurred to me, notwithstanding the fact I was looking at all these canvas results every week where I could go, oh, yeah, we're, oh, we're, oh, we're definitely winning there, to go down the bookies with a wig on 
<laughs> and uh, sort of say, yes, I, I, I would like to make an obscure bet that the SNP is going to win this seat by that. And I, I probably could make quite a lot of money doing that. Uh, yeah, but, but, I, the... but I didn't do it. So there you go. <laughs> Poor guy behind the counter. I think RMP just came in and drag pal. <laughs> That's right. Or ringing up, ringing up head office saying, what are the odds yeah. of that? Yes. The wig was okay, but why the scat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got. It's funny you mention that because I remember in um, 2000 and when was it now? At seven or eight, when Gordon Brown almost called that election. Can you do Gordon Brown? He's got the jaw, by the way, for people listening to the podcast. The jaw's oh, yeah. going, yeah. So, one thing I noticed, about, I can't do the voice incredibly well, but he would always say billions instead of billion. I remember that. From 82.9 billions in 2012-13 to 92.2 billions in 2012-13. Mr. But, Speaker, this is a Labour budget, and I commend it to the House. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> so, so he didn't do what some people in West Central Scotland do, which is have a W in billions. How, where do they put it? Billions. 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 <laughs> so millions and billions. <laughs> do you do that in Shetland? Uh, no. Okay, there you go, there you go, there you go. But when, when Brown was... Um, Prime Minister, I was working for the Labour Party, and the, obviously these rumours started... You never told me that! You know. <laughs> well, well, I'm sorry, it's a bit late now. To, uh, <laughs> but um, I was working for the party, and I, I got called into a meeting where they said, the election is on, it's going to be the first fortnight of November, go back to your marginal seats and get the printers ready. Oh, and I thought, well, I know Labbrooks have got a stall at this party <laughs> conference, right? So I went and checked the odds, and it was something like, I, I think it was eight to one. On a, on a first fortnight in November, I thought, how much can I justify? And I put 100 quid on. And the moment I did it, I was like, I could get fucking nicked for this. <laughs> and I was driving all the way back up to Nottingham thinking, this is going to be the end of my career. But then I thought, I've just made 800 quid. Like, <laughs> it is so easy. <laughs> and then the following day, my boss called me and said, I'll afford you the, uh, the election. Whoever, like, whoever... <laughs> <laughs> By the, by the way, whoever is, whoever is responsible for the podcast is going to be heavily lobbied at the end of the show. And at that point, there'll suddenly be a technical problem with that. With that. It'll suddenly go, beep, and it will resume about now. So over to you, Matt. Thank you very much. Have we got any more questions for Angus? Yes, the fellow there. And just if people keep their hands in there so I can see where some of them are. Yes, I'll come to you, yeah. Cheers, I'm Toby. Um, so I have a real mistrust. I don't really like referendums at all, yeah. generally. I think it's like leaders not really taking responsibility for what we've elected them mm -hmm. to do. But if you, if there was a Scot if Scotland got independence and you were in power, yeah. would you ever envisage holding a referendum on something? Yes. Um, I think, so firstly, I understand the issue that you're making, which... Um, it's quite a common view in, in some European countries who historically have had referendum. So I'm thinking about uh, Germany and Austria, two countries I know well, where they have, a, they have historic reasons to be very mistrustful of referenda. Um, but I think there are some questions that are so large, and often constitutional questions are so large, that I think uh, one has to trust the electorate. Now, one of the criticisms that I've had about the European referenda, and I, I'm, I'm genuinely not making a parochial point, but if you live in Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland, or indeed in London or you know, certain parts of England where there are local government elections, 
All of that is being totally obscured or eclipsed or complicated by the fact that one's chosen the same date to have a referendum with Scottish Parliament, Welsh Assembly, Northern Irish Assembly, London Assembly elections, mayoral elections, local government elections. Point one. Point two, on really, really big issues, giving a number of months or weeks to debate a subject, frankly, I don't think is serious. I think if you're going to have a big issue, you have to give good time to have a debate and for people to kick the ball about. Because I know you did your sort of unscientific who's made up their mind, and I'm sure this is not a very scientific audience because we're kind of all politically interested geeks, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily, you know, we're, we're not average uh, voters in that regard. But there are still a number of people. I heard some over here, and I'm looking and pointing. Who, who, who's undecided? <laughs> Olivia, yes, isn't it? You, you. Isn't that the worst thing about going to comedy shows is the people who are up there going, who believes this? <laughs> the poor guy who was sitting at the back who was outed. As being a, a, a leave, a leave, he was outed for being an outer. Yeah, earlier. You think you pay money to come to a comedy show and then somebody takes the Mickey out of you? <laughs> oh, but it was all friendly, wasn't it, mate? Oh yes. <laughs> he, we were we were talking at the intermission. He said, "How much you get paid for these things?" That's why there's a really bad impersonation. Kind of and I said, "Well, I do, this, I do the." Oh, he's all white. <laughs> Barrymore. <laughs> and um, and uh, you know he should get some money. By the way, he was on quite a lot. <laughs> forget this, we'll Very forget this parliamentary clapping going on here. <laughs> order, order. <laughs> um, so yes, let's take it. I think did that, that sort of broadly answer the point. Sorry, did that answer good, your point? Big... Yeah, yes, I think you're right to be sceptical. Um, but I think when big questions, particularly constitutional questions, come along, there should be. Um, there should be a referenda. Um, are, are there questions that might come along in a post-independent Scotland? Um, yes. Uh, and should we have a referenda in those circumstances? Uh, yes. Okay, very clear. Um, let's, uh, it is Olivia, isn't it? Let's, uh, let's let Olivia ask a question. Are you the undecided? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I, um, I'm definitely not a politi- political geek and... Did you I, come to the right show? <laughs> no, but I don't, and therefore I'm probably not as informed as everyone else. But I really don't understand why you're not going for Brexit. Because if you went for Brexit, I think you'd probably then get the dissolution of the UK, and therefore all the old people wouldn't have to die in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> what? They're becoming more so. <laughs> And you'd win your referendum. Um, surely it's a brilliant solution to your problem. Um, and I kind of I'm wa- taking notes. And I'm kind of wondering why, why you are, what are the reasons that you're not going for Brexit? Can you answer those? Because I don't understand them. Um, so, goodness, where do I start? Firstly, can I just, can I just scotch this rumour that I'm in favour of older people dying for, for political reasons? I am not. I am not. I'm simply making the point, as time moves on, circumstances change, etc., etc. So I'm... As somebody whose parents are both still living and elderly and all of that, um, I, I wouldn't wish... Uh, anyway, anyway, let's go on. Let's go on. Uh, so... What, what I would say to you is, first off, is that I, I'm not... I'm sure that you're not suggesting that that is a past that we, we, sh- we could or we should follow, because, frankly, it's pretty cynical. 
I'm not saying, I mean, you're asking a good question, but I think if, if somebody was asking me that on a panel and it was a serious, I think it, it would be very, very cynical to say, yeah, I'm wanting England to leave the European Union against its own interests and purely for the reason that it will cause a constitutional crisis that will lead to people in Scotland being forced to choose something that they didn't agree with only two years ago. I think that would be pretty cynical. And that's not what I'm about and that's not what my colleagues are about. We actually have to persuade people that they want to get there. So, you know, let's part the independent side for a thing, because I think your main starting point is a European question. And I think it's a good thing that we um, work together imperfectly to try and uh, trade better, have better workers' rights, deal with the environmental challenges that we have, uh, have the freedom to live and work elsewhere. I think it's totally normal to, for... I mean, any, any young person growing up in the UK just think it is a totally normal thing to be able to go on holiday everywhere else. We have many relatives who think it's a total normal thing to be able to retire in France or Spain. Um, many of us think it's a totally normal thing that we have, and again, not, not enough people say this. We have had some people, a lot of people, um, who have come from certain parts of Europe and work very hard and pay their taxes, uh, and they work in our shops, and they work in farms, and they come from Poland, and they come from other parts of Eastern Europe. And thank goodness they're here working hard because we didn't have people from those parts of the world. There are businesses in my constituency and the National Health Service would be in difficulty. And so, I mean, there are a multitude of different reasons why I think it is a good thing uh, that we, we work together without wanting to lay it on too heavy about the fact that I think it is a good thing that we work in this imperfect way rather than falling out um, and killing each other, which as Europeans we did with regularity going back through all the ages. And I think it is actually such a big thing. It's not perfect. I don't, I don't defend um, many aspects of the EU uh, and the fact that it's difficult to... I mean, if you think of the, the challenges that um, particularly our continental neighbours are having to deal with, think of the Swedes um, who have taken in more refugees, I think, per head of population than any other country in the European Union. One quarter of the, the refugees are children. They don't have enough school teachers. They don't have enough schools to teach the kids. And they're still taking them in because they think the kids deserve to be cared for. I mean, in Sweden, in Germany, in Austria, in these countries that have been dealing with this refugee crisis, they're having to deal with problems of a scale that I listen to the debates sometimes here and I think you have no idea about how profoundly challenging things are in, in elsewhere in Europe. Um, but they're trying, to, they're, they're trying to deal with it. Uh, but we cannot pull up a drawbridge and think because we live on an island that these things don't affect us. They do affect us, quite apart from the fact that I think we have a moral responsibility to help kids um, and just because they're in Cali not think, absolve ourselves of a responsibility to deal with them. I don't yeah. know if that goes even halfway to understanding your point. I'm trying to highlight that I think there are absolutely profound reasons why I think it's, it's better for us to be working together on all of these things. Uh, and the normal way that that works is for countries to be a part of that. And that's why we have a council of ministers and we have a parliament imperfect though that is too and we elect people to go there and speak on our behalf. And maybe we should pay closer attention to how all of that works so we feel it's more relevant to us. Um, but I, th I think imagining that there is a perfect world, although the, the leave side can't tell us what it is, uh, it's apparently not Norway, apparently it's not Iceland, apparently it's not Switzerland, it's something else, but they won't tell us what it is. Um, yeah, that's not good enough.
I think um, I think I've figured out actually um, why you're so passionate about um, child refugees is that they're going to a lot of countries that don't have parents. Yeah. Um, but you could send a lot of grandparents from Scotland uh, <laughs> to Sweden to look after them. Uh, they get grandparents in, you get a second referendum and you win it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's ideal. I've been getting some very interesting advice. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to take it. Um, yeah. Well, that's a very good point, very well made. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that brings us to the end of uh, tonight's show. Next month's guest is Tim Farron. Uh, the leader of the Liberal Democrats. Very interesting. Uh, there are some tickets left uh, for that. And in June, I can't announce the guest yet, but um, there are a couple of options, and if either one of them agrees to do it, it'll be absolutely wonderful. Uh, as always, uh, this show can't succeed without you coming down here. So, as always, thank you very much for coming. If it's your first time, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and please, a round of applause for all the staff, Pav, and all the staff at the St James Theatre who've uh, helped to make tonight happen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I shall see you next month. Thank you as always for being such a wonderful crowd. But please show your appreciation for the Austrian doctor, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Angus Robertson. Thank you. There well, we go. Angus Robertson, aka Sigmund Freud, helping me through some of my issues there. Um, not just during the role play, uh, but uh, in politics in general. Uh, what an exceptionally gifted politician he is, and a very warm man. And it's just lovely to see. I, I always hope with these things is that. If I'm interviewing someone, well, any politician, that you get to see behind the public persona just a little bit. And sometimes people's public and private personas isn't too different. But Angus, obviously, in the, in the House, is such a commanding figure, such a serious figure of weight. And that is to be, you know, that's admirable and commendable. And that's where a lot of his public respect is, is garnered. It's also nice to see him with his warm side and his informal side. And I think throughout that interview, you got both. You got a sense of a, of a politician with significant gravitas who is deeply concerned about global issues. And also you saw someone who can uh, do some very good impressions and um, particularly impersonate um, Dr. Freud. So that was a very, um, very illuminating experience. Slightly uh, disarming at the time, but um, nevertheless pleasurable. Um, as always, thank you very much for downloading this, and um, for those of you that tweet me, thank you. It's always very kind. If you would like to tell your friends and family uh, about this, then please do and spread the word. My next guest is leader of the Liberal Democrats, Tim Farron, uh, someone I've always been keen on, and uh, someone who's obviously in a very different different position uh, to his predecessor in terms of uh, where the Liberal Democrats are in a, in a power sense uh, in the United Kingdom at the moment, and someone actually who strikes me as um, a fun individual and someone who's willing to be informal. So I can't wait to sit down and talk to Tim. Uh, my guest for the June show will be announced as soon as possible. Um, we'll talk to a couple of people, and as soon as uh, I can announce that, I will. Um, tickets for shows later in the year are uh, available now, I think. Um, you can go to stjamestheatre.co.uk. And, as always, I'm approaching only the biggest and the best names um, from the political world. So we've got some more exciting guests to announce later in the year. Um, so, yes, thank you for that. Angus was superb, and I'll see you again soon. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.